gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 63, the review segment for Friday, March 20th, 2015. Not only is it the year of our time Lord Dr. Emmett Brown, but it is the first day of spring. Hallelujah. Welcome, spring. I'm happy is to it see warm? it. Is it warm? We don't know. We don't know. It's the future. <laughs> Whoa. I hope so. We oh, aren't really sure so. what the weather is like right now. I know. It's, it's, that's how futuristic it is. That's incredible. Uh, but the thing about spring is it also brings movies like Insurgent and The Gunman, which we will be reviewing today. Jesus. Uh, one of them is a sequel in a young adult franchise. It started with Divergent. One of them is not a Taken sequel, I've been told. It's actually the best. It's probably a, it's better than the Taken sequels because it's like it feels like a sequel, but it's not a sequel. That's how all sequels should wait, be. They, wait. they should be fake sequels. What? You see, we shouldn't have real sequels. We should have like thematic sequels. So they still are fresh ideas with new people, but they're not, you know, you know what I mean? No, it's a really good idea. I feel like Sean Penn has brainwashed you. Fair. Uh, All right. Let's start with the gunmen since you got to start. You got to start talking about fake sequels. I honestly, you just told me before we started that it's a sequel to Virunga and I'm confused. So really, please start from the beginning. Um, Well, Virunga just for the record, is is a Netflix documentary about the Congo and is is an extremely complicated situation about how a an oil company may allegedly, I need to say allegedly because <laughs> lawyers came after me the first time when I didn't say allegedly while discussing Virunga, uh, came, came to the Congo and basically stirred up uh, mercenary shit in order to kill gorillas and take over a, a national park so that they could drill for oil. Uh, you should definitely... See it was nominated for an Oscar. It's yes, very good. It is wonderful. It is an incredible documentary. It's beautiful too. And I I, I was surprised that the gunman, Sean Penn's taken movie, uh, is kind of a spiritual companion film to Varunga, because basically a, a mining company, British mining company, has hired Sean Penn. You know, he's a former black ops, I don't know, guy who punches people. And yeah, turned mercenary assassin guy who punches per people, uh, and he has been hired on a job in the Congo to to assassinate the minister of mines. That is what? Poss- maybe that's a real job. That's probably a real job. Uh, he he takes out. This is all in the beginning of the movie, by the way. Don't feel like I'm spoiling anything. Sean Penn is kind of a bad guy in the beginning of this movie, and quickly redeems himself. He goes. Um, Sean Penn plays Jim Terrier, uh, and he's His name partners. Is Terrier, yeah, it's Jim Terrier, and he's partners with Javier Bardem, and he is in love with this beautiful woman played by Jasmine Trinka, who I'm not very familiar with, but she is quite beautiful. And um, they're all in the Congo helping people. And when when Sean Penn is hired to assassinate the Minister of Mines, he is uh, forced out of the country. He's told that once you do this job, you must fly into the wind. As that's the code word for leave the continent and never come back. Wow! So he kind of has to ditch his lady when he is tasked with. They basically you hire three snipers, and then one of them gets selected in the moment to do the shot. And, of course, Sean Penn is because Javier Bardem wants to bone his lady. So when Sean Penn is cast away from the Congo, Javier Bardem swoops in 
and Bones is Lady. Wow. Um, yeah, but Sean Penn redeems himself. Like, he feels pretty bad that he assassinated a world leader that he thought he, – he was under the impression that by assassinating the Minister of Mines, the Congo would basically reset and, like, there would be no – intrusion by British forces and, and that the Congolese people could kind of revive themselves. That didn't happen. It actually all went to shit. Uh, he felt pretty bad. So he went and worked in the Congo, um, like helping people drill holes or something. It's it's very, this is a very dense text. This is like, I mean, how how far into the movie are we at this point? This is like 15 minutes into the movie. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, there's a so lot. This is Syriana. It's basically, it's airport Syriana. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> airport novels have a certain density to them that make you keep turning pages, hoping that you'll figure out what the fuck these authors are talking about. But uh-huh. really, they're just planning enough recognizable plot threads that you 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 turn pages, that you get to the end of this this spy thriller. You wish it was kind of like Tinker Tailor, where there really is something complicated going on, but it's just gobbledygook, political gobbledygook, to get you to the parts where Sean Penn is fighting people, which he does immediately, because when he comes back to the Congo to drill holes um people start trying to kill him and he doesn't know why like they're these these military men from the congo come and they're like kill the white man and he's like well if you're talking about the white man you're only looking for one person in this village so they're all coming after me they must know something so he goes on this huge spy mission to figure out like who is trying to kill him and it all ties back to this sniper mission from before and there's all sorts of nonsense in this movie like sean sean penn's his character has this um like uh brain plaque it's actually called plaque (laughs) Yeah. Like like on your teeth? Yeah, like on your teeth, except it's on your brain, and it makes what? you forget things, and it makes your vision blurry at sometimes, and it makes you spit up blood what? at inconvenient times whenever the plot really needs you to spew blood out of your mouth and look dizzy. Which happens all the time. Yeah, of like... course. So he has brain plaque, and that's an issue, and and, and it's apparently Wait, caused so by is, stress, which, so watch out. Is this a, a novel about like a recurring character, and that's like his constant? I don't know. Like, this Achilles novel was heel? written by Jean-Patrick Manchette. Uh, it was based... On, I will get you that information. Because <laughs> that just sounds so crazy that like to have it for a character one time, you know? Yes, it's called the Prone Gunman, um, and apparently there are maybe a few other novels with this character. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, yes, he has brain plaque, and I don't know if that's from the book or not, but it is absurd. Um, is and he's absurd. also like running around. Ray Winston helps him. He travels from the Congo to London to Barcelona because, of course, Javier Bardem is involved with this and somehow, but not exactly. And Javier Bardem hires different people, but then those people come and kill all sorts of different people. And it's basically a really confusing mystery that Sean Penn kind of nails. I mean, he's ripped. I am surprised. I don't know how. I assume he's like 50 something. But yeah, man, that guy right. bulked up. This is pretty much his first action movie, and he kicks ass. Like he more than Liam Neeson, I would say, uh, at least on par with the first Taken. But this is a brutal movie. This is a bloody movie. This is a movie where people get stabbed through the throat and or like shot up the neck or something. Like this is insane. It was the action is pretty freaking good. It is Pierre Morel who directed the first Taken oh, film. Oh, I see. I didn't even know who that hasn't really Pierre made Pierre a Morel ton has of talent. Yeah, I, like I, I think he's better than the Louis Leteriers of the world, including Louis Leterrier himself. <laughs> uh, he he is, is a good director. He hasn't done a lot. He did Taken, and then he did From Paris with Love with John Travolta, which is which a horrible, is all, horrible movie. Oh, no, that movie is fun. And he spent many years developing a Dune movie that went nowhere, and now he's made The Gunman. Um, and, and the action is superior, especially when compared to, like, 
the other Taken sequels, which are garbage. And even, maybe even um, the Jean Collet Sarah movies. I was a big fan of, I don't know if we talked about it here on the podcast, but I was a big fan of Run All Night with Liam Neeson. I think, I, we, I think talk we talked about, about it last Night. week. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that movie, but that is a character piece. And this is definitely a, 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 a shitty airport novel action movie that Sean Penn <laughs> pretty much nails uh it's really gruesome uh, at times and it's pretty it there's just a brutality to it like even seeing champagne gets hurt a lot which i like uh, i wish it didn't always have to do with the fact that he's brain plaque and starts <laughs> limping around but um you know he'll like get shot and he'll get cut plaque. he'll get like shot in the chest and be bleeding out and being like i need to heal this wound because people with like five guys with guns are chasing me and that can be pretty intense and it looks realistic uh pierre morel makes a really good decision to kind of uh, sprinkle in great character actors around Sean Penn. Not that Sean Penn's a bad actor. I mean, two-time Academy Award winning Sean Penn uh, does a lot of grunting and squinting and he's very intense in this movie and I, I dig it. Um, but you, when you have people like uh, Ray Winston, Javier Bardem, Javier Bardem playing just a wacky guy. He's he he's in about three quarters of the movie and like a third of it he spends drunk and it's really it's actually a pretty weird choice. Javier um, Bardem's in a weird phase in his career. Yeah, guess, where he's just playing. He's like, kind of like Johnny Depp, artist. but with less wigs and more teeth <laughs> choices. Um, but equally like Mad Hattery, no matter what movie he's in, he's it's kind of like the counselor with better hair. In this movie. Wow. Um, so it makes sense that he's joining decent, the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I guess. That is a decent selling point. Although Michael Fassbender was in The Counselor, so not quite. I'm not quite sold. That movie is incredible. I uh, let Everyone go back and watch The Counselor. Uh, there's also Mark Rylance is in this movie. Very hey. famous stage actor who is going to be in Spielberg's Cold War thriller with Tom Hanks later this year. He's going to be in the BFG, Spielberg's B- BFG movie. So Mark Rylance, and and he is a standout in this. He's awesome. Uh, being just a, a, a spiffy British man. Uh, he's, Mark Rylance deserves to get paid. Idris Elba's in this movie, um, which wow, I, I guess is a, a little bit. That. Well, so does the movie. Uh, oh. Late, late game. I mean, I guess it feels kind of like a cameo. I don't really know. I'm, that might be a little bit of a spoiler, but. I don't think anyone can prepare for Idris Elba charisma just popping into a movie. So even knowing it, but uh, the gunman, I mean, it's a really, uh, it's two hours long, which I think it ends up kind of dragging. There's too much political gobbledygook as I previously See, described. You're describing this. And I'm thinking of like the international with Clive Owen, a movie that I like, don't remember, except that it wasn't any fun to watch because it was way too complicated. Like, this you're, movie makes you're describing up for that. like interesting actors doing right. like weird globe trotting stuff, but it sounds super boring. I think the action in the gunman makes up for that. I mean, the action there are long stretches without Sean Penn kicking ass, unfortunately, but when he is, when he's really on fire, I mean the movie goes all out. There's a great scene. You know, setting a big shootout in a mansion really works wonders because there's so many different angles, so many different hallways, so many different positions you can put like five versus one in. Um, and especially when you start throwing grenades and lighting rooms on fire that it, it's an extended like 20 minute shootout scene that's really vicious and awesome. Uh, but then, of course, that is preceded by 30 minutes of just talking about whatever nonsense they're talking about and then 20 minutes where they're just talking about more nonsense but i i do think that that kind of stuff the the filler 
filler is the wrong word, but the, the, the political through line here is more interesting to me because at least as I connected it to Virunga, it's about something that I think Sean Penn seems very passionate about and that feels very real in his hands. He actually gets a writing credit in this movie. What? Yes. Um, oh my God, and Sean Penn's monster ego will never stop. I don't know if it's an ego thing. I mean, he has a lot of experience going around the world and helping people and like working with different groups and, and trying to improve the world. So he's seen a lot of the horrors and he, he incorporates some of that into this. Um, he is definitely the white knight, if you will, <laughs> into oh the African populations in this movie. But uh, if you can get past that, um, I don't know. He, he is a great lead for this. Uh, I, I dug him. So I don't know if I've sold you or not, because I don't think you would be that keen on watching people like get stabbed in the, the head. Oh, they also go to Barcelona to a, a bullfight, and someone oh. is brutally impaled through the horns of a bull. I think that like movies about masculinity and like dudes being macho work for me, but Sean Penn so like thoroughly weirds me out. Like I can't imagine him beating someone up without knowing that he beat Madonna up and how shitty that is. Oh, and that's like that a real life thing that you're mind. not supposed to bring into seeing a movie. But I can't not think about it. Uh, yeah, I have a really hard time like buying into Sean Penn in general. And I really liked him in Milk. And I'm, you know, like, yeah, I love that performance. But the idea of buying into him, like going around beating people up and being like the white knight really does not appeal to me. Yeah, I I get it. I get that. And would it be a movie that I purposefully went out and paid money to see? I don't know. Um I just I was entertained. I was more entertained than I expected to be, but there are definitely long stretches where nothing happens and you just watch Sean Penn like make sweet love to this beautiful Spanish woman. Um, and if that's your thing, well then you're going to love the gunman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and whose thing isn't it? Fun fact though, I was staying through the credits and you know, so they film these bullfight scenes in Barcelona and there has not been bullfighting in Barcelona for many years, mm-hmm. um, which they had to note in the credits. Really? Like the city of Barcelona was like... Yeah, Barcelona has sworn off bullfighting, so any bullfighting depicted in this has not occurred in Barcelona. Wow. Which I think is pretty cool. Um, I wonder if Spanish people are like, why are Americans obsessed with putting bullfighting in their movies? Well, because, I mean, pockets of Spain are... When I went to Spain, oh my God, a decade and a half ago, (laughs) when I was a wee teenager... Uh, exposed to the horrors of the world, I went to this bullfight, and it was one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. Have I ever told you about this? No, but... Do you know what is involved with a bullfight? It involves people getting gored by bulls. No, it it? doesn't. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, maybe maybe that happens every once in a while, but... So there are three rounds in a bullfight, or at least the one that I saw. Uh, The first round is a bunch of matadors on... um, No, uh, uh, yeah, like eight matadors come out, and they all have spears in their hands. And they basically are all provoking this bull and they're like jumping above it and like putting spears in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the second round is a bunch of people on horseback who kind of poke it with spears to make sure that it's not like going wide. It's not just a matador versus one bull. It's it's, a lot of. They make sure that you put a bunch of pins in the bulls to make him weak. And then the third matador comes out. Now it's the big matador battle. Mm -hmm. And that matador does like take two spear, different sets of spears and like jumps over the bull as it charges at him and like thrusts these big, um, these big spears that stick into the bull and stay there until he kind of starts bleeding out. And when the bull is all like 
drained and is about to die, the matador goes over and takes his sword and sticks it through his head. Oh, my God. Yeah, which kind of happens in The Gunman. You do, not exactly, but you do kind of get that sense that he's about to be thrust. A sword is about to be thrust in the head of a bull. And and then, and then, this is the truly traumatizing part for 13-year-old me or whatever. Uh, we the, the the bull is dead, bleeding out onto the, the sand. The matador is taking in the applause. And then people on horseback come out, connect the bull to their horses, and drag it away. And as they drag it away, it's just this big line of blood. Oh out of the ring God. it was it was so, it that was truly traumatizing i'm like i i can never eat meat again and then the next day i was forced you to had eat a hamburger meat. no i'm well not eating meat in spain is, a, is an impossible task so wow. that was that that was and that's my review of the gunman <laughs> <laughs> as visceral as seeing a gunfight with maybe i know probably more blood I more guess. blood more blood. Uh, you know what has a ton of blood in it no insurgent, insurgent. yes wow the movie is crazy violent. Really? As uh, as Kate Urblin, who uh, was at the premiere screening with me, uh, pointed out, like, the things that the teens applauded for in the movie included the arrival of Jai Courtney, which I never would have predicted, Wait, and uh, execution-style <laughs> murder, which happens multiple, like, multiple people are, like, on their knees or, like, approached and then shot in the head. Like, repeatedly. It's crazy. Back up. More shocking. People cheer for Jai Courtney because they know who he is? Yeah. Well, well, he's in the first one. So, That's you know, true. they recognized him for showing up. Um, yeah, Jai Courtney. Get ready. Terminator Genesis is going to be a big deal because apparently the teens are into Jai Courtney. Okay. So, I hated, hated, okay. hated Divergent so much. I mean, I cannot go back and listen to our review of that film because I would, again... Be enraged, the, the flames. Would I would be shooting flames out my hand because I hated Divergent so much. It's so derivative of Hunger Games. I mean, it's such crap. Uh, from the, I mean, I'm sure the book source material is that derivative as well. But man, I was so angry after Divergent. So you, I, you knew that I hated, hated that movie, and you got on I am, and we're like, Insurgent is good. Do I say good? <laughs> I you said, said it's better I, than. I should Divergent. probably see it because it's better. It is better than I do not. I don't. I, I'm. I'm not going to tell you. You have to see it. It is better than Divergent, which I watched for the first time this past weekend, kind of like half paying attention, um, and was deeply bored by it because it was basically just nothing but a training montage. And the problem in Divergent that is still an insurgent is that because this dystopian world is not that well imagined, most of the interesting things that happen happen in like dreams or like these tests. Like in the first movie, she's being tested to find out how brave she are and she is and she are, Jesus. Uh, and in the second one, there's more Sims for reasons that are not worth explaining. So kind of all the most visually interesting things happen as part of fantasy sequences or like, you know, very oh, right. intensive. Dreams. I assume the it's entire really lame. The trailer for the movie was her like breaking out of a glass prison and and then shattering more glass and then bursting out of glass, falling out of a building <laughs> into more glass. But I yeah, assume most that of these was things fake. are most of these things are fake. Right. That's um. Dumb. But what's nice about this second one is that there's actual forward momentum. Like, at the end of the first movie, you see her kind of stopping this attempt from one faction, from uh, kind of taking over the rest of them. The leader of the faction that's trying to, you know, have this dictatorial rule is played by Kate Winslet, who gets more to do in this, which is really nice. Um, so they've kind of started this revolution, which... Essentially, they've skipped over the second Hunger Games. Like, in the second Hunger Games, it's, like, really repeats itself, and they go back in the arena. It kind of skips over that step. They're on the run. She's with her brother, who is played by Ansel Elgort, and 
her uh, love interest, who's played by Theo James, someone who I could not pick out of a lineup now. If you, I liked to. him actually. He was my favorite part of the first movie. Really, he seems Miles Teller cool. is my favorite part of the he first. He seems movie. like a good actor. Uh, Miles, he, Miles Teller did nothing. Oh, I like Miles Teller. Miles Teller is also really entertaining in this one. Because um, Miles Teller is like this interesting, morally ambiguous character. You never quite know where he stands, which is another thing that the Hunger Games is missing. Like, there's a few things that this does that I kind of wish Hunger Games would do, despite in general being an inferior Whoa. knockoff. So anyway, they're on the run and like they're hiding out with this, the farmer faction that Octavia Spencer leads. And then they, you know, go on the run somewhere else and they kind of eventually uh, encounter every other faction in this land, which is kind of nice. It's expanding on the universe that up in the first one. They obviously have more money. Uh, the leader of one other faction is played by Daniel Day Kim of Lost, which is, it's nice to see him. Uh, Naomi Watts appears as the leader of the factionless. I mean, to keep track of like the layout of this government is pointless. Like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so don't worry about it. Uh, but if it, like basically Shailene Woodley's entire goal this whole time is to kill Janine, the leader played by Kate Winslet. So the movie has to kind of come up with things that will happen between that between the movie so that she can get to Janine at the end of it. And you've got kind of these rogue soldiers working for Janine's government. Jai Courtney is the leader of them. So they kind of show up. They're trying to capture all the divergence. And what it actually boils down to is a box. Like so many of the Marvel movies, there is this one box that Janine the leader wants to get into. She can't get into it and she needs a divergent to open the box. So she wants the box. She needs Shailene Woodley to get into the box. Shailene Woodley wants the box and uh, m- multiple battles ensue. A box? Um, the box. <laughs> literally a box. Uh. And inside it are some secrets about some things. Um, so she has to go back into the simulator and all these various things happen. And you know that part of it is you know boring in its own way. I kind of really got down in this movie for not having enough imagination to make things happen. Uh, but they had more money this time. The world looks better. They're using CGI to kind of create more interesting things. It's directed by Robert Schwentke, who's taking over for... Oh, not Neil yeah. Jordan. Uh, Neil Berger? Is that the guy? Yeah, Neil Berger. Yeah, who's a Which, producer in this one. When Neil Berger was announced that he was not coming back... For Insurgent, I'm like, oh, great. Yes, there's hope. There, You know, this m- movie could improve because Divergent is so drab. It's so, like, there are no choices made in that movie. It is, yes. it is truly a carbon copy of everything that came forward. And then they hired Robert Schwenke, who <laughs> directed R.I.P.D. And I was like, I, do, I don't understand Hollywood anymore. I give up. How does yeah, that happen? I mean, happen? They're, they're not making an effort to make anything look any different or there's not really a lot of choices going on. But it does look better because it's got more money and it's got a chance to expand on things. I mean, the problem with the first one is like it's kind of setting up this post-apocalyptic Chicago and then filming it all in shadow to hide the fact that they didn't have enough money to actually make it look like anything. And this time they can have daylight because they were able to kind of fill out all of the, you know, desiccated buildings. <laughs> Congratulations. You've made a sequel. You get daylight. You've moved into daylight. It's, you can re- now it's be really seen. a big step forward. Um, but it's got, mo- it's got forward momentum, which is not necessarily something that is going to make you die to see the movie. I feel, I still think even the second hunger games, which is a little repetitive has, more going on for it, but it's got it's got a goal. It's got a specific goal. It's got kind of characters bouncing on, off of each other. I think the central romance with Shailene Woodley and Theo James is really boring because it's basically like they are truly devoted to each other, and that's it. And what is you get to watch what are these movies' problems other. with romance? Like, is it chemistry, or is, are they just not written like human beings? Why can't yeah. we have a good romance in any of these movies? I mean, I think mostly they're just like busy. They got too much other shit to do, so they. 
the idea of building, like giving time to building up these romances instead of like having them fight some other genetically engineered monster. Or maybe they blow their loads. Like they need to be romantic later after clocking some time together. They can't yeah. just like hook up right away. Makes no sense. Yeah. And there's like, there's no real attention to that in uh, insurgent. Not that there necessarily needs to be. So like, I think that you get a character like Miles Teller, who's like, you know, you don't know whose side he's on and you kind of, there's some, you know, double crossing involved. I think that's interesting just because it's like, there's some character tension to it. Like it's somebody whose point of view isn't always clear at all times. And that's the other problem with these YA movies. Like you've got the hero who is this thing and you've got the love interest who is that thing. And you've got the villain who is that thing. And there's so little gray area anywhere. And uh, Shailene Woodley spends a lot of the time doing a lot of the same things that Harry Potter does in the Harry Potter movies where it's like, I didn't want this. I don't want to be special. I'm not up for this. And you're like, oh, Jesus. own it. Yeah. And it's the same problem that the Hunger Games movies has where Katniss is like, I don't want to be a hero, but she has to be. I mean, at least with Hunger Games, like Katniss is kind of choosing to be it. Like she's just got this like shithead personality where she can't stop opening her mouth but in Divergent she's born with it and she's the only one who can have it and they have these little testers that wave in front of your face to decide to say how divergent you are and of course Triss is 100% divergent Wait, I mean, there's lots she, of so you details. can be different percents of divergent yes, because can. it was already something that like stood you out from the rest of the crowd exactly and like it's really unclear to me like how many divergents there are, why anyone knows what <laughs> divergent is. Like, n- none of that stuff really makes... Like, the world building is, like, simultaneously interesting because you get some, like, cool Chicago vi- visuals and, like, makes no sense whatsoever. And from what I understand, the third book only gets crazier. Although I've also been told this ends differently than the book. So, maybe they're... Who the know? It's definitely going to happen, probably. I mean, yeah. I assume oh, yeah. it's going to make a bunch of money. And I assume it's going to make a bunch of money. You can't on- stop now. Yeah. Uh, one important thing to say for anyone who sees this movie, uh, and there's a scene where they're running away and they're trying to hop on a train. Uh, watch the way Ansel Elgort runs. It is the goofiest thing I've ever seen in my life. I did, when that supercut goes online, I, I honestly worry about his career because he looks so ridiculous. Can and you, this is the guy who was like the romantic lead in The Fault in Our Stars like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> can Can you use some sort of simile to describe his... It's like he's pinwheeling his arms. Like he's like running like when Phoebe runs on Friends. You should I, know what I'm I wish. About. I, I really do not. I need to watch 8,000 episodes of Friends. Uh, no, I bet I can. There's I a, I there's can a GIF I, there. I, I bet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'll see. Uh, what's the third one called? I don't even know. The Divergent series. Al- Allegate. No. Al- Allegro. Allegiance. Yes. Sorry. Allegro. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, God. Abignation, Candor, goddamn the names oh, of stuff in God. these movies. Like fake SAT words. It's wonderful. Uh, so anyway. Uh, Insurgent. <laughs> I'm already watching Phoebe running as a gif. Okay. More interesting than most Yeah, Insurgent. scrap Insurgent, scrap the gunman. Katie's going to tweet a gif of Phoebe <laughs> running, and you can just watch that for like three hours. Yeah, and uh, go watch Barunga, I guess. Oh, yeah, Netflix. What was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of uh, the Divergent series 
Insurgent. Allegiant candor. I, how do I? It's a tongue twister. The Divergent yeah. Series Detergent. The Divergent Series Detergent. 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 Um, what's the best Detergent. movie moment involving something or someone crashing through glass, which she does many times? Uh, I'm going with Aaron Hammond, 88, who says the scene is Scott Pilgrim background gag where uh, Sarah jumps out the window to avoid saying knives always cracks me up. And I agree. Lots of good sight gags in that movie. But you were also uh, surprised by uh, the answer. Wooden Lens claiming that Kevin <laughs> throws poop through the window of the toy store in Home Alone 2 <laughs> confused me so much. We're going to have to fact check that. Wait, I... wait, no. Then they followed up and said, or was it a brick? I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I hope it it's It just poop. has never occurred to me that that would be poop. There's no never. way. Poop it just would can't. break a glass. Yeah, there's no way a piece of hardened poop could break a glass. It's and like New York City is full of hardened poop right now because it's all been buried in snowbanks. Unless someone ate a brick and then what? pooped it out. Pooped a brick. And then literally And then it was brick. like he thought he was throwing a piece of poop, but he threw a brick and he shattered the glass. That oh Maybe that's God. the gag that I never realized. Anyway, moving on. on two works on a lot of Yeah, I, we're going deep here. Uh, I'm going to go with at AP Bryant 32 who said – Chief picking up the water fountain and chucking it through the window and then escaping in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's a good A answer. lovely movie. A lot of our answers were action movies where um, big bulky men burst through glass. Um, but here was a thoughtful movie where a big bulky man burst through glass. So uh, I had to pick that one. Wait, you didn't see the action movie cut of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? I bet that is a video. I bet that is a YouTube video. Oh, God. Okay. Never mind. I didn't say anything. Uh, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week. It's still a couple weeks till summer movie season. It's getting so a little far. rough around here. So far. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to say now, I'm not seeing Get Hard. Just not doing it. We're just going to have to do something else next yeah, week. I don't know if that movie played that well at South By. We'll, we'll it did not. It uh, you can read a review of it on VanityFair.com, written by our friend Eric D. Snyder, if you're curious. Oh, shameless plug. Part of what convinced me not to see it. Fair. Uh, Anyway, we'll be back next week in one shape or another. Uh, in the meantime, Patches, who are you? I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com. I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I'm Katie Rich. Uh, you can find me, as previously mentioned, on VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. I'll be hurling frozen poop through windows between now what? and when we talk to <laughs> no, you. No, what? No, don't do that. No, I, I'm, I'm calling so the police. Ideas. So many good ideas from our listeners. Uh, whether or not I do that, we'll be back talking to you next week. From the police station. <laughs> <laughs>